Meditation helps focus your mind, and psychic work is all about focus. Welcome to Energy Matters, exploring awakening to your authentic self and finding purpose through mind, body, and soul. With your hosts, Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by IntuitiveVision.net and GroundedMind.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Energy Matters podcast. This is David Gandelman. I'm here with my co-host, Cody Edner. Hey, Cody. Hey, David. And uh, this episode is brought to you by IntuitiveVision.net, which is Cody's website. Cody's been teaching intuitive skills for over 30 years. He's an incredible teacher and guide. You can get a lot of great downloads from his website, sit at home in your pajamas and learn how to meditate and be intuitive. I buy stuff off his website all the time and sometimes for other people. And I say, hey, you really need this meditation. <laughs> and I send it to them. So intuitivevision.net, it's a great site. Check it out. And it's also, this podcast is also brought to you by my website, <laughs> groundedmind.com. It's a subscription-based site where you can learn some really great meditation tools. It's only 10 bucks a month. You get a new meditation every week. You learn a new tool and it's a really structured long-term program if you want to dive into meditation. So check it out. And uh, let's jump into the episode. So today we've had the incredible privilege and opportunity of interviewing Deborah Lynn Katz. She's the author of You Are Psychic. Uh, If you put it into Amazon, it's probably the most popular book on being psychic out there. She's also the author of two other really great books, and she's a psychic, a healer, a teacher. She's been the host of a TV show, and she has just an incredible litany uh, on her resume of intuitive skills and experiences. So even if you're not very uh, attuned or haven't had too much experience with the psychic world, this is a great intro, and we're really excited to share this episode with you. Yeah, this was it was great fun to sit down with Deborah and get a chance to talk to her um, about her experiences as a psychic and a remote viewer. She has a lot of great stories, a lot of great insight, and uh, she's really a great teacher. So we had a great time uh, sharing with her, and, and we got off onto some wild uh, topics uh, in the the aware, uh, arena of uh, psychic awareness and metaphysics. It was all all in good fun, and I think it is a great introduction to uh, to that world and kind of a, a bird's eye view into the world of uh, being the psychic, you know, the other side of the uh, of the fence, so to speak. And and she kind of shares what it's like, and we and all three of us really discuss a little bit about what it's like to be an intuitive or a sensitive uh, person and uh, what kind of things come up around that. So it's a really great episode. If you're new to it, I think you can have fun with it. If you um, are in the world of uh, energy healing, energy awareness, I think you'll find this really informative and, and very interesting. And we we talked for quite a while and we could have kept going, but um, uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to have her back on. So let's let's jump right in. Hello and welcome. I'm very excited to be here today with a great guest and a good friend and author, uh, Deborah Lynn Katz, an author of um, multiple books that we'll talk about today. And of course, I'm here with my uh, co-host and good friend, David Gandelman. Hello, David. Hello. 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 <laughs> All right. And welcome, Deborah. 
Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you both. It's great to have you. Deborah actually teleported here. She's got some amazing abilities she's going to show off today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're both looking wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, Deborah, you've got some. I was. I've been reading some of your books, and they're incredible. And I just love your writing style and your voice and your lightheartedness and the way you bring the psychic work and energy work into the world. And I'm, I've just been super impressed by all of it, but I would love if you could just start by telling us a little bit about your story and how you got started. Like, did you have a psychic experience as a kid? Did you always know you were psychic? Um, where did, where did that all start and how did that lead into the work that you do now? I mean, when you were seven years old, was, was there a class project where, where the teacher said, all right, write down what you want to be. And someone said, fireman, policeman, teacher. And you said, psychic. <laughs> how, did, how did that happen well, for you? <laughs> you know, I have to say by the age of seven, I was already obsessed with these topics. And uh, if I had thought there was a chance of having training in this or, or doing it as a profession, I, I would have loved that idea. But for years, I researched how to develop my abilities more and, and really didn't come across too much other than that if you, uh, the few books that were out there would talk about meditation and how that could open you up. But it wasn't really until I was 27 years old and came across the Berkeley Psychic Institute that I realized there was a place where that could actually teach you how to control your abilities. But backing mm -hmm. up a bit, the reason why I believe when I look back that I was so obsessed with these topics at a very early age was because I have, I have an identical twin sister and we oh, wow. had many experiences when we were even just a few years old where it was clear that we were communicating telepathically. Now, of course, we, we had no words for what was going on, but there would be this annoying thing happening where whenever I was about to say something, she would say what I was going to say. And I became aware to that I was often feeling what she was feeling. And then we also had experiences where we saw spirits or something around the house. Again, we we were too young to even think of it as a spirit, but there was this thing that would appear in my parents' bedroom doorway. Sometimes when, when I woke up, it would be there. And if I wanted to go run into my parents' room and jump on the bed and wake them up, I had to run past that thing in the doorway, mm. which was really just an outline of, it seemed like a man like filled in with kind of the snow from a TV set. So I would run through that and then it would disappear. And I found out, I didn't really tell my sister about this, but a couple of years later, she talked about the same thing and having a similar experience. So wow. we, we also even sometimes communicated with each other in our dreams. So we were fascinated by this. And when we were around 12 or so, we lived in Illinois and my sister somehow got us a membership to the Theosophical Society in Wheaton, Illinois, which was a couple hours 
drive away, but they had uh, a mail-order library. And so she, even without my parents knowing, she got us a membership, and we would have all these uh, ancient texts sent <laughs> to us, which we couldn't really understand. But, um, it, you know, definitely... Um, is evidence of, of our interest at a real early age. That's incredible. And is your sister still into it? Does she teach? Does she do energy work? She she definitely does psychic readings, and she works out of a bookstore in Santa Barbara. And she's also, it's, it's really interesting because even though we've gone our separate ways in sometimes go as long as a month without talking our lives have gone in similar directions so even though she didn't go the route of psychic training and when I was going through my different programs initially she thought I was a little over the top in in my obsessive um, study and fascination with this but she eventually went on to just kind of stumble her way through things without training and now is working and she's been working for a number of years as a psychic in addition to real estate agent and but the parallel part is that she's going for her PhD in psychology at Pacifica Graduate School and she's very she focuses a lot on dream work and oh, cool. in addition to her psychic work. Yeah. So two very different paths to get to um or explore, I guess, and express similar types of abilities. Do you notice a difference between where you are as, as someone who's trained and, and kind of the path of uh, like getting to that same place in someone's self, uh, you know, within yourself in a, I don't know if you want to call it untrained way, but just by stumbling through? Yeah, I, I notice a difference. And I, I don't know if she does, but I definitely do. I I find, one, I do seem to be more focused on the energy dynamics. I I feel like a lot more uh, spirit communication comes through my readings where she's more likely to interpret that communication as symbolic. And, uh, and it, some of that may be just her own kind of makeup or maybe some fear she has around that communication. But... Um, you know, I'm quite clear of when I'm communicating with the spirit versus when I'm getting a clairvoyant image that I wouldn't say is coming from an outside being, and I don't know that she she is. And when I talk about those beings, she tends to want to put it in my own psychological terms or her mm-hmm. psychological terms and, you know, say, well, what aspect of the, yourself might this be representing? And I'm like, no, this is actually a disembodied entity talking to me. So we'll have <laughs> we'll have disagreements about that, and she just doesn't want to go there. So that's a difference. And then I would say I have more command of tools to help me process what I'm going through, mm-hmm. whether during a reading or in my own life. And, and those are definitely the psychic tools that I know you guys teach and that are, I also introduce in my books as well, you know, invaluable visualization energy tools that help whether to stay grounded and, and focus during a reading or clear out afterwards or just, you know, when you're having a hard time in life. I think she gets more stressed out than I do, and then she doesn't always have the same uh, tools to cope with that stress. 
And so that's, that's a big difference, I would say. The other thing is that, and I don't know if this is part of my training or just my own philosophy, but when I started out doing readings, I really wanted them to be purely psychic. So where she, when she meets with clients, she's using her psychic abilities for sure, but then she's also bringing in more counseling and kind of coaching, mm-hmm. not always being in a psychic space every moment. Whereas I'm very aware of when I'm in a psychic space or when I've fallen out of it or, you know, choosing to. And and my goal almost all the time is to stay within a psychic space when I'm meeting with Mm -hmm. a client. And Deborah, you really don't shy away at all from using the term psychic and from really taking the tools that, like you say, I think it was in your book, um, Extraordinary Psychic, that were only taught at schools uh, like in Northern California and a few other places, and you you are not shy about bringing them out into the public. Was there a moment where you realized, you know, I'm okay with just being out in the world and being psychic? Was there a level of fear that you had to kind of work through to get to that place? Because as a teacher, and Cody, I'm sure you've had this experience, a lot of people who do this kind of work or are closet psychics or see energy or have experiences, but they don't want to come out with it or express it because they're afraid of what people might think. Did that? Did you go through that as a person going from clairvoyant training out into the world as a reader, teacher, writer? Yeah, definitely. Well, and part of it was a function, I believe, of my, when I first trained at the Berkeley Psychic Institute, there was definitely this idea that a lot of people would just continue to stay reading and participating in the Institute. There was no training or mention, at least in the classes I was involved in, about how to go out on your own. Even people who would go professional would still be encouraged to do their professional readings within the institute. Mm-hmm. And so, and in fact, we were often told that people who went outside would be, we would find ungrounded people and sick psychics and sick healers and people that didn't understand us. So when I, I got to the point where I realized that there was a lot more I wanted in life than just to stay in, in that place. And, and I was basically told that uh, if I was going to stay there, that I would have to abide by the limits that were set, the energetic limits that were set within the Institute. I was told that point blank when I went to join the teacher's program. And so I, I realized that that wasn't right for me. But the what I was facing was this big scary world and having no idea how to navigate it on my own. And so mm-hmm. I went through a tremendous amount of fear and fear of just the idea that I might be lonely out there by myself and, and all this stuff. And then on top of that, well, I, I definitely found that that wasn't true because I, what I had already been developing for years was my manifesting abilities, which we, we all have. And I know you guys work with these concepts. And again, I talk about them in my books, but just the idea that whatever we need out there is available for us. And it may not be, it may not have been part of our past or it may not be present in our lives right now, but just the idea of, oh, I want to have more friends that think like me or that are into these things. And they're not here right now, but if I 
trust that they'll show up. If I do visualizations, if I set intentions, make mock-ups for them, they'll be there. And sure enough, I found myself in one situation after another. Eventually, I moved to Sedona, Arizona, after I spent a year in the Philippines working with different healers who were all into this stuff. And then I went to Sedona, Arizona, where you couldn't find, there's hardly anywhere else in the world you could find so many psychics and healers. Mm-hmm. So, no, they, I, I was unique in that I seemed to have a higher skill level or, or a, a larger tool bag to work with than a lot of these other psychics. But there were so many people that were open and, you know, in, interested, obsessed as well with these things. So, Eventually, I saw that there's a lot of support out there, and there's so many different communities of psychics and healers, and it's okay that they don't all work in the same way. You know, they very much appreciate learning from us, and and I've found whole new communities. Remote. Now I'm very much involved in the remote viewing community, which is a very different approach from the clairvoyant psychic reading right. approach, but it's just as rich and fascinating and and life enhancing in very different ways. And can you tell us a little bit about that, what you mean by remote viewing and what exactly it is and what you guys practice? Sure. Well, it really comes out of the U.S. military psychic programs. The U.S. military had a covert program that probably you guys and a lot of your listeners have heard about. There's a lot of books out there written by people like David Morehouse or Lynn Buchanan or Paul Smith, and these are former military remote viewers. And so they also had a scientific program at at the Stanford Research Institute that was a parallel program that provided Mm -hmm. funding and training for the military programs. And so those teachers, well, those viewers after the programs were disbanded in the mid-1990s, went out and formed their own training programs. And so some of those people are my own teachers and I've gone on to work with them and do research with them. And the focus of remote viewing, there's a lot of crossover, but it's in some ways it's very different from reading people because even though you can use um, the, the techniques and processes to tune into people, you wouldn't use remote viewing to do uh, an actual reading on someone to get, if someone said, oh, tell me about my relationship or about my um, health or why I'm feeling this way uh, or my, my aura, remote viewers wouldn't do that. You'd still have clairvoyant readers or, you know, maybe mediums, but doing all that. But you wouldn't have remote viewers. Remote viewers would be describing locations, like maybe looking for, missing objects or people or pets right. or uh, doing things like describing photographs uh, or um, describing things of more of a physical nature. And so there's, there's different techniques and, and approaches and kind of a whole different culture around, uh, around remote viewing and the remote viewing communities. They're mm-hmm. uh, tied more into kind of a, a scientific standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. um, much less spiritual, although there's anyone who does remote viewing does, you know, encounter spiritual um, aspects as well after a while, even if they don't intend to. Yeah, that's a good question. That that was a thought I was just having as you were describing it is in the, as a, a 
energy worker or a clairvoyant reader where you're interacting with someone sitting right in front of you, um, you can't help but connect with that spiritual aspect of them and their path and their growth. And my question being, you know, as a remote viewer, uh, what's the the purpose, the reason? Is there is there a spiritual growth and development aspect? Uh, you know, are there other reasons for doing it? Uh, just kind of what what's the the mindset and yeah. the culture in that in that uh, well, perspective. Well, first and foremost, in the military, it it was about seeing what kind of information can be accessed. So it was the focus was very much on you know how much information can can we get. But there's when you when you start to do it, you become aware of the different processes within yourself, such as you're, there's, you're operating psychically on a subconscious level and then conscious level as well, which you're also doing when you're doing clairvoyant reading. But you become aware of different parts of yourself. You, you become aware of how certain abilities come from different parts. So it does become a, an exercise in self-exploration of your 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 mind and your body and, and that connection because one one of the things that I learned from remote viewing that hadn't come out when I was simply doing clairvoyant readings with people this this has to do with the ways you you use your abilities because when you're reading people it's very verbal it's you sit there you don't you don't usually write you just sit and you and you talk and you communicate and your communication that comes from you over to the other person and how you communicate verbally is very, very important. Well, in remote viewing, you're not having somebody right there that you're reading. You, you might have a monitor guiding you, although I don't work in that way. Um, but for the most part, as you get information, you're putting it down on paper. You're using a pen, and you're writing and you're sketching because, again, there's if you're describing locations or photos, there's a, the, the information can often come more so in, in, in pictures. Or as your sketching is really important because your mind might interpret things and misinterpret things, but there's a communication that happens from your subconscious through your body, and you're, oftentimes your hand will start sketching something that you don't even know why you're sketching it. This is where the unconscious part comes through because you you may not see you you could see a visual but you may not you may just be inclined to sketch something or let's say you have like a faint image of a rectangular building so your hand you start to sketch it but then you sketch it like slanted to the right and then you feel compelled to draw some circles around it even though you didn't see the circles and then it turns out that there's circles, circular shapes all around the building in the photo or at the actual location. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, you know, I didn't, I didn't see circles. No, no one gave me a message about them, but my hand drew this. And the only way that that can happen is because you gave your hand the physical tools that we didn't have those tools when we are doing readings with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could, we could, you know, do readings where we're writing and that would get into automatic writing, which some mm-hmm. psychics use. And then that might come out where you don't even remember what you 
saw, but you just look down at your paper and read it over, and it's right there. So people who do automatic writing um, often have similar effects. Yeah, this is fascinating. Mm. Um, yeah, it's automatic writing certainly is a pretty... I don't know if we want to call it ancient, but I've heard of it over the years uh, relative to, you know, opening up and channeling or psychic experience. But it sounds like what you're describing is a way to get past the conscious mind to a deeper uh, innate intelligence that's within us and bring that out and use that to get the information. And, and while we do that as psychics, I think in reading people's energy and aura, very often it's, it's hard to get past the mind part, that mind always wants to interject um, into that interaction of communicating with someone. Um, so that that's very yeah. fascinating. So how, where has this led you and, and taken you? And, and are some of your books about automatic writing? Well, my second book, Extraordinary Psychic, has a couple chapters on remote viewing, and it gives a bit of the background that I, I just, discussed and then a couple techniques it uh, as as far as how to um, do a remote viewing session it's it's not really a, a training manual because there's there's already books out there uh, uh, that you know really go over the different techniques and mm-hmm. at the time I wrote my books I would say I was more at the my last book, or Extraordinary Psychic, was published in 2009. So, I've really developed as far as you know my my own training and practice. So, in the future, I definitely could see writing a book about. Uh, I'll probably write another book about remote viewing and updating the clairvoyant work as well, because I've really been able to take what I've learned in remote viewing and and add a bit to what I do with, with people. It's, it's all interrelated. So even though they have different names and different focus, there, there are similarities for sure. And Deborah, I just wanted to ask, can you give us uh, one example of a remote viewing experience that you've had personally, um, that, that you sketched something out and it was like really similar to the site you were looking for or the object or whatever it was. And that, showed you like, wow, this is real, or this is a really valuable tool to have uh, in my tool belt. Is there one moment that stands out or a few? Yeah, definitely. And I do have some examples of my sessions on my website at DebraKatz.com. There's a tab for remote viewing, and then you could see a bunch of examples of my my sessions or parts of my sessions. Um, One, one, really high moment I had, I think I'd already been practicing and and doing sessions for a couple years, but I did a session where it turned out to be the, one of the Apollo space missions, uh, but the specific tasking was of the, the mission control center at the time the, the, um, of the launch. And somewhere in my session, I think it was a five-page session, and like on page number four, I had these guys sitting at a council, and I said it was a NASA um, mission control. And um, 
and then I drew the guys, and, and in the picture, you could see the guys sitting at the control, and um, like I had drawn. And I remember that because I was so excited that I had gotten such a good match, or I thought I was excited because I had done a good job, and I was so elated and ecstatic that I, I just it was like the happiest moment of my life to see I had <laughs> had such a great session. And, and I stayed happy for a couple of weeks, like in this exalted state. And then I realized at some point that I was having in remote viewing terms, what's called an aesthetic impact experience. And this is where you experience the emotion at the location as if it was your own emotion, and this can, it can sometimes be more than just an emotion. It's where you experience, you might experience yourself dimensionally at the location as well. And so I believe that I was so happy because I've had a lot of good sessions and hadn't been that happy, but that was the mood at that time because that particular launch it almost was a failure and when it was a success there was so much excitement in that control center that I I was as happy as if I had actually launched mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> something in daughter space and I was I was kind of stuck on that in clairvoyant terms you might call it being like stuck on a, a picture or you might call it being um, empathically connected. And in that case, uh, it was great because I was, it, it was a very positive feeling, although I, I kind of blew it out of proportion and sent my session to absolutely everybody I, I knew <laughs> had ever met. met. But, um, you know, that also speaks to, well, what if you tune into, uh, you know, a really depressing or awful situation or somewhere where there's a lot of death? Sure. And, you know, that can happen as well, whether you call it being stuck on a death picture or absorbed in all those emotions, which can sometimes happen to people, too. So so that's fascinating. So um, when you're remote viewing, uh, you know, it's not like you're just viewing from a distance. You can get so connected or go there so much so that you experience not just what you're seeing, but the whole scene. Is 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 that correct? Exactly. Exactly, because some of the techniques, it depends how you're guiding yourself, but, you know, it's similar to reading people. You know, when we read people, we can do it from a grounded space within our bodies where they're at a distance and we're looking at them on our screen, or we could jump into their body and merge with them. And if we jump into their body and merge with them, Sometimes we may get information easier that way and stronger, but we're going to feel everything they're feeling and, and there's going to be repercussions. Well, the same thing with remote viewing. We, we can be at a distance or we can bring ourselves right to the location. And one common technique is what happens is if you move around the location, that's where you really start to get information uh, like on so many levels and then you could pull it together and end up with a very advanced session and very in-depth sketch and mapping of an entire area so you bring yourself and your consciousness you, whether you want to think of it as leaving your body which a lot of re traditionally remote viewers are not thinking of they're leaving their bodies but they say they're like extending themselves to a location or they're bringing 
the location to them. But I've found that if I say I'm going to leave my body or I send my students and, and we leave our bodies and go over and explore like the location at ground level or above 500 feet looking down or we interact with it, we go and touch it or we move inside things. When we bring our bodies into it, that's where we're more likely to have an aesthetic impact experience or even uh, on occasion a, a full bilocation where you experience your whole self at the target as if at the location as if it were more real than anything else. That's that's a little bit, that's more rare. But what is very common is where you start to, you, you do start to feel things. Like you can, if it's cold, you'll start to feel really, your body will feel cold. Or if it's windy, you might suddenly get like this breeze across your face, just like um, strong things that just happen for a moment. But when those happen, you usually can be more sure that you're really there, that, that you're really connected, and, and oftentimes the information that follows will be more more correct than maybe the information that happened before. Mm. And there's, there's techniques you can do to, to make those experiences happen, you know, more, more frequently. So um, I, I even had an experience recently where the target was, it was a ancient castle. I forget where it was. But as soon as I started the session, I had a sense of myself laying on the ground with these swords all stuck into me, like I'd been killed by these swords, and I felt like I was wearing this armor. So, And it was a really cool experience because it wasn't scary. It wasn't painful. I, I wasn't alarmed in any way. But it was very weird that it was me laying there with the swords all in me, a very bizarre feeling. But that gave me information. Well, you know, where uh, okay, wherever I am, they have swords. They wear suits of armor. There's attacking going on. So I, I hadn't mm -hmm. yet seen anything about the castle, but that still gave me three helpful things about the target that, that turned out to be accurate. So it sounds almost like that movie, The Giver, where, or the book, uh, where you have an experience of a, another place in time and you absorb the information, the experience into yourself, and it kind of expands your level of wisdom. So it's maybe not just about gaining information, but also just awareness of different experiences. Because the way you're describing it, Deborah, it's like you can go anywhere and experience anything outside of your body and then bring that information back and integrate it. So rather than just having one body and one life, in a certain sense, you can go to many places and have all these experiences. And it's almost like the internet of your psychic consciousness, <laughs> the way you're describing great, it. Yeah, that's such a great way of putting it. And with all that, I, I'm still careful as, as much as I can be to not merge with the su subjects as much as possible. Like in that case, maybe I was merged with someone, but I try to not, you know, I, I could be going right into people's minds and melding with them. I'm, I'm trying not to do that, but I'm still, for example, one target was of, I think this was another, it, it was someplace in, in China, an ancient Chinese um, dynasty, the series of castles and, and stuff. And I, the thing that was most interesting to me was that I was on this road, like somewhere right outside the kingdom. And there was this old man and he had this thing wrapped up in a sack. And when he opened it up, it was 
all these items, uh, like body parts from animals, and he was he laid them out on the ground to show me, and he was so proud of these these animal parts in this little sack. Now that really ultimately didn't. It, it, again, it told me that I was in a Chinese place. It, 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 he was an old guy. I could tell there was like a, a castle type thing nearby. That wasn't enough to like, really, I was supposed to describe the building in detail and I, I needed to use other techniques to get me there. I got a little distracted by this old guy, but this is something that I remember now. Like I'll, I'll now I know that Mm-hmm. 500 years ago, you know, this this was something that people did, and and it's part of my own historical experience. But it's it's like watching a movie. I guess that that's what it's like watching a movie and getting historical perspectives and and learning things about people. And you know, but you could say that about clairvoyant reading too, because you get to experience a lot of things through other people that experiences that they have that you otherwise might not have yourself. This is really interesting to me because from the metaphysical standpoint or the spiritual perspective, what you're describing sounds a lot like what someone would say uh, is accessing the acacia. So in the acacia is all the information of everything that's happened and we all have access to it if we can learn how to tap into it and draw on that information and thus experience, you know, whether, whether it was 500 years ago or thousands of years ago. And many people have written uh, books about that. But from the remote viewing perspective, since they're more scientific, do they kind of look at it as uh, kind of the, the um, quantum physics idea of simultaneous time where everything that exists you know, it all exists now at once, or how do they relate to that idea that you would be remote viewing and tapping into something 500 years ago? Yeah, well, there's there's definitely theories, and, and some do like to go along the, the quantum physics level. Um, some, there, there's different types of remote viewing and approaches with extended remote viewing, uh, that's that's one form of remote viewing. It's called extended. And, and David Morehouse was one of the first people to. He's a former remote view, military remote viewer, and he he wrote a great book called The Psychic Warrior, which still out of all the books, it reads more like a novel than any of the other remote viewing books. And uh, highly recommend it. And so he talks about the matrix, like going into the matrix where everything exists. Uh, all at once in past, pet, present, and future. But there, you know, no one's really sure how it works, but, but basically, or can really explain it. But we actually do know how, basically what happens is that one person has an idea of what they want someone else to describe and assigns it a usually a target number and then just hands the target number to the remote viewer with with no other information. And so when you do a remote viewing session without information, it's called doing it without with no front loading. Front loading would be telling you, you know, something even like it's a location, which sometimes we might know, well, this is a location, go de- describe the location, or this is going to be an activity at a location, describe both. 
So we might know that, but we're not going to know anything else. And so let's say you wanted to know about a certain battle during the Civil War. Well, you could, like, write that down. Like, you would, let's say you as the project manager, you would write down this battle during the Civil War. I want you to describe what what was the outcome or what happened. And you would put that on a piece of paper in an envelope, but you wouldn't show that to the viewer at all. That would, like, be totally violating protocols if you said, oh, go describe this. But what you would do on the envelope is you'd come up with, like, a random target number, which would just be a series of any numbers. Or you can even just say target number one and anything you want to call it. But whatever you call it, you give that number to the viewer and you say, go describe this. And that's so then we do that. So whatever, and then we bring ourselves there, not knowing where there is, but it's like an automatic G- GPS system that our consciousnesses have. And it, it works similar to like, let's, let's say you lost something. Let's say you lost your wallet and you wanted help finding it. Well, I don't need to know anything. I don't even need to know that it's a wallet I'm looking for. And some viewers don't want to even know that. But I kind of like to know what I'm looking for. So if you said find Cody's wallet, I would just send myself over to where the wallet is. And I'd probably touch it, and then I'd start looking around. I might say, okay, what's right around here like a foot away? And I'd just start describing. I might say, okay, I'm going to start... I'm going to touch the wallet, I'm going to, I'm going to move 10 feet up, and then look down and what do I see around there and start describing. So my conscious mind doesn't need to know, you know, where you live or, like, I would not want to know where you think you lost it or where you last saw it. That, that would be noise. Mm-hmm. That would be front-loading and just too much for my logical mind to have to fight against. So it's, it's his really daughter cool. has the wallet. His daughter definitely <laughs> yeah, has his wallet. She's got the wallet for sure. No, that that's this is really very very interesting. I have a couple of of questions. One is what since remote viewing obviously a big part of it came out of the military or out of government programs and and I love the vernacular of target. I mean that's such a military uh, yeah. picture that's still there. So we we're zeroing in on a target. Um but what is the government's relationship to remote viewing now? Have they totally abandoned it, or do you, in those circles, do they talk about uh, anything? Uh, maybe we're getting a little into conspiracy theory, but that's all right. That could be fun too. <laughs> well, you know that's a that's a popular question, and everyone's always speculating. And you know that people didn't know the the government programs that they had, which. They were under different names, but one of the main names was Project Stargate. Um, you know, now everyone knows about it because it was declassified, but during most of the time, nobody knew about it. So if they have anything classified now, that people really don't know about it. I mean, there's I, I've heard talk and stories that, that they do or some people think that they do, but no one really uh. knows for sure. But it really, it, even though they're... At the time they were declassified, the CIA director um, came out and, and said, well, they're really, they really weren't effective. But the people that were part of the program uh, and, and part of the, the Stanford Research Institute, um, they, they did their own assessments and, and showed, yes, there was 
so much helpful information that came out of it. And again, a lot is still declassified, but just by the fact that they had to fight for their funding every single year and they were in operation for 20 years. And there's, there's no way that they would have been funded for that time if they hadn't been effective. When, so when did it become they were effective, declassified? Yeah, around 1995. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, it's it's funny because I can remember in my psychic training back in the early uh, 80s, we used to, to joke about uh, the government programs and the remote viewers who were sitting in rooms uh, looking through uh, Russian files, you know, reading information. So that's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah, always the exactly. running joke. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's what the reason that is cited for them having started it is because that they had heard that the Russians were, were, had their own psychic spy program and they wanted to know, well, what could, what information could the Russians be getting? And so they thought, well, you know, the way to, to determine that would be to see how much can our psychics get about them. And, you know, that they had, so many, they did so many experiments that were successful where they were able to see that our viewers could get information about, you know, that they would test them on areas, on, on bases, um, secret government installations, our own installations that the viewers would very much in detail get information for. So, you know, that was when they were testing them and training them and, yeah, it's it's really really fascinating. So if they were even su- successful a little bit, it's which they were. It's hard to imagine that our government wouldn't still be using them in in some aspects. And there's definitely agents. I, I recently worked on a case where there was um, FBI agents and other federal agents involved. So you know, it may not have been. Sometimes the agents will go out, you know, they may not have authorization from the government itself, but they'll go out and use whatever tools they can can use to help them solve a case. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot. I've worked on cases. I know several other people that are working on, you know, cases with with FBI or... Can you give us, Deborah, an example of any of those cases or even just a little bit about the one you just worked on um, yeah, and, and yeah. have some really cool things come out of it or great well, or information that was useful? Well, the, the most recent case, there was a, a girl um, who had been missing in Virginia and she, um, her, she was missing... I don't know, for a couple of months, I think it was more than a couple of months. But so I, I worked with a group of remote viewers that their, um, one, one of the managers, she had been a former agent as well as her husband. And so they were working with the FBI and a couple other agencies. And we were, they were feeding our manager questions and then we were giving information. Now, as viewers, we were, when I did my first session for them, I didn't even know it had to do with a kidnapping case. Again, they just said, we have a remote viewing target. We, here's the number, tune in. And it was very clear during that first session, it had to do with a woman that had been 
kidnapped and and she was to uh, to me she was clearly deceased and so my session matched enough of what they knew to be true that they were then tasking myself and some other viewers with further um for further sessions where again they weren't telling us what was involved but this time they would narrow our focus and say well we're looking for something here so you know hone in on the location and then the next session was hone in on who the the person responsible is uh, what give us a physical description so but we were not told at all until the end that this was a highly publicized um uh missing persons case. Now, uh, what I'll say the the thing here is that oftentimes the the agents are not we were the agents were telling our managers that the information was helpful, but they weren't able to say in what way it was helpful. The other thing was that there were so many different agencies involved, and I think what was happening is at the local level for who had jurisdiction um over a lot of it they they were giving information to the the sheriff's department or the the local level but they weren't necessarily saying it was coming from psychics or remote viewers you know they were just saying you know here try this or go over here right. and we were being told that this was helpful the interesting thing for me and this gets a little bit morbid and and it also speaks to the very realistic um where you can feel like you're really there is I, when I had a sense of the girl being deceased, she, I had a sense of her body being spread out all over the ground and birds like eating parts of her. And the interesting thing to me is that sounds highly disgusting when I talk about it now. And in fact, I was telling my husband about it because I, I, I also saw the location. It was very green and lush and um, we live out in the desert right now in California, and, and the environment that her body was spread out in was so moist and, and humid and so different from where we live. And, and But we drove up to this one area, my husband and I, and it was very green, and, and I had a almost like a flashback from that scene, and I was like, oh, this is where I saw the oh, girl's God. body spread all over the ground. I mean, this, it looked similar. I knew it wasn't even in the same state, but I was just like, yeah, you know, it was really green and there were trees kind of similar to this. And he was like, you know, that is so gross. Would you please yeah. just shut up? <laughs> and, you know, especially the part with the birds eating her. But the interesting thing was that the way that they ended up finding her, now it wasn't, it would have been nice to say like, oh, they took our sessions and they located her just from the sessions. Um, again, I can't say how our sessions help because I don't know. But in the end, they found her because this was a very remote area in Virginia, and they found her because neighbors saw all these birds congregating over the backyard, and that was very unusual to have all these birds there, and they called the police, and sure enough, they found mm. her body being eaten by these birds. Mm. So that was interesting to me, too, because when, you know, at the time when you're, Getting this information, one of the challenge there, there's so many challenges as a remote viewer, and one of the challenges is you just don't know what's important or not. You know, some details like that that example of that old old Chinese man with the the bird or, or the animal parts in his little bag. That was not really relevant 
to my tasking of describing the architecture of a building. I kind of didn't do so well because I didn't hone in on the architecture enough. Well, in this case with the girl and, and the birds being right there, those birds turned out to be highly significant in, mm. for, for whoever found her. But um, at the time, I was just like, okay, this is just a gross little detail here, you know, not realizing it was very important, the, the birds being right there. So you never really know what is important or not, and that can be a problem. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Interesting. I um, have had a couple of experiences as a reader on um, cases, and some of them pretty high profile, but usually the experience is that a family member or someone brings the question to you, and so you know what you're looking for, and and you're dealing with the energy of um, you know what they're in, the, the emotional distress. And one of the toughest things I ran into with that is uh, when uh, mm -hmm. I worked on a, a missing person, a young girl, she was about 13, and she had only been missing a couple of days, and I and a number of readers, we all saw that she was deceased. And how do you, when you're yeah. confronting that person, how do you tell them that and stick to your guns? So it's interesting to hear this description of being removed from the emotion and the scene and the family, but yet then remote viewing from a distance. Do you find that to be more accurate? Has anybody studied whether, you know, because there's a lot of psychics that people come to and they will read what they see and they'll help on cases. Yeah. Well, as far as um, these days since people have been working uh, outside of the military, there, there hasn't really been a whole lot of research as, as far as um, operational work. Operational would be just in the field doing something to be useful for the general public. Um, but there, you know, it is very... How about it, you personally so in that regard? Because you've probably yeah. done both where you've... I, yeah, I've done both. And, and I... I much prefer to have that level of separation yeah. of, and, and that's the nice thing w within the, the approach of remote viewing, it is usually done in a team approach. So the viewers wouldn't be in touch with the family directly. They wouldn't be in touch with the law enforcement that there's a project manager um, who, and the project manager may or may not be in touch with, with the family, but it's like the viewers are protected in a way so they can just neutrally get the information without all that emotion. I mean, if I had approached it from, let's say that poor girl's mother had got in touch and said, you know, tell, I'm worried about my daughter. We haven't seen her. Tell me what's happened. And I was sitting right in front of her. Mm -hmm. it, it would be, I don't know that I would have even gotten the information that right. I did. Yeah. And you know, that's, then it gets so much into, well, you know, do you tell them what you're seeing right then? And, you know, all the things that come up to, for readers such as, okay, well, you know, I'm bound to be honest. I've got like a, a inner code that I want to be honest at all times. But then what if I'm wrong or what if right. I'm, you know, tuning? There, there's so much stuff that comes up when you're working with a family and working with 
that the, this is what I'd say to any psychic out there that, you know, oftentimes people, they watch the news or they, they have, they hear from people who have cases like this and they so much want to help, but they, it's, it's really, I want to, I want to warn against people just jumping into cases where they don't know the people already or they have, where they haven't been asked to help because that is just, so messy and usually what happens is they get emotionally connected but there's no one to give the information to and the worst thing you ever want to do is like call up the family and say you know oh I have this information unless the information could so much lead to like finding them right away but then you're opening up such a can of worms because that family is so emotionally distraught if you can even get in touch with them they are going to like keep calling you and they're going to be hysterical and there's so much emotions so really it's better for psychics to work with like directly with law enforcement and not the families as much as possible if the family does want input into what happened and you know they're just coming to you for a psychic reading you know then sure tune into it but just know that it can be really really hard Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you know but at the same time as you you guys know, I'm sure you've tuned into it where you actually got in touch with the deceased person, and sometimes that person has messages about what happened, or you know they can per- sometimes tuning into this deceased person, and now we're getting into on a mediumship level, which is more so going to happen during a clairvoyant reading spontaneously than it would in a remote viewing session, but tuning into the deceased person can sometimes. Um, you know, offer a lot of comfort and solace and rich information as well. So I shouldn't yeah. say that you never want to. Well, that's do usually that, after if, the person's been found. Then tuning into the deceased person can certainly bring healing and closure and yeah. um, answers. But in that hysteria yeah. of uh, and just the the frantic energy of trying to find uh, a missing person and just the emotion, I, I love this idea of having that space and that distance because the ones I've been involved in, it is so hard to say what you see. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it is. And then don't you find too that it's, it's harder to disconnect, mm-hmm. you know, like, because uh, this is kind of true though, I would say for whether you're doing it as a reading or remote viewing, because there's always the idea, well, maybe I haven't gotten enough information. Maybe I haven't described enough, or maybe I missed something. The other thing is that these cases are very fluid. When someone's missing, they could either move or be moved to several different places. So whatever you see in one moment, you know, you may need, like, it, it may totally change by the next day. They could be safe or in peril at one moment and the opposite in the next. So it almost does require more frequent tuning in. And so I found that with, with either one, usually I have very strong boundaries. And after a session or after a reading, like I, I'm just done. I'm not tuning in. But with these types of cases, I feel like I haven't done enough or I have to keep doing more. And and it's hard to use my tools and just it's, I, I get very Separate. like I might be upset for the whole week you know, or a couple weeks until it's resolved. Mm-hmm. Have, have you guys found that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's why using to- clairvoyant tools are so important or whatever kind of tools you have to deal with the energy that you're working on. 
even if you were a therapist, right, or a massage therapist, or in all walks of life, we need tools to deal with energy like that. And, you know, I'm sure in your training, Deborah, you've you've done so many different types of training, but I'm sure you found that tools work across the board when you're working with finding a deceased person or a missing person or uh, just do, giving someone a reading on their next step. Because it doesn't have to be that intense and serious, right? It could just be, I've done so many readings on people's yeah. uh, next steps and then something inside of me lights up. Oh, what about my next step? And then I have to take uh-huh. a step back and detach and work work some energy and release something so I can see with that kind of neutral from that neutral space. Oh, what is this person's next step? And I found that a lot of people who don't have some kind of training when it comes to whether it's remote viewing or clairvoyance, they have a hard time differentiating between what they're seeing if it's the information in that other person's space or if it's their own stuff that they're working through and that's why I found that clairvoyant training is so valuable. You get to work through a lot of that energy so you can become more and more neutral. Is there a process in remote viewing where you learn certain tools to do that as well? So you don't um, put in your own filters when you are viewing a site or looking for a person? Well, there's, I, I wouldn't say so much energy tools, but there's definitely techniques specifically in um, so earlier I mentioned a form of, of remote viewing called extended remote viewing. Another popular form that was developed by Ingo Swan is called controlled remote viewing. And within that, there's different steps. Again, this is very much a written technology where you're, you're, following, um, you're, you're following these stages and you're writing certain things down. And one of the things that you can do is write down if you feel like you're experiencing the, your, your own emotions at the location or the other person's. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure, there are certain steps that you can take on your paper, which um, kind of parallels what we do energetically. Now, it's, sometimes it's effective, sometimes Sometimes it's not, but there's the concept of taking breaks as well. In, in clairvoyant reading, we're, we'll take energy breaks, right? We'll, we'll remove our attention from the person we're reading for a few moments, and we'll focus on releasing what's getting pent up in us or maybe what we took on or matched. And in remote viewing, um, they just have, you know, take a break. So you're getting too emotionally attached, take a break. They're not necessarily telling you, what to do during your break, um, you know, which then what I've done having the clairvoyant tools is, is use those during my quick breaks. Mm -hmm. But in controlled remote viewing, you might take a lot of breaks during your session. You know, if your mind gets stuck on anything, if you start to just feel like you're making things up or you're, you're going into uh, analyzing, you take a break or, or you do a movement command, you move yourself some, somewhere else. And, and so that's, it's so interesting to me that there's these different parallels. But one of the things I, I've noticed is that remote viewers don't always have a way after a session to just re- release in the same right. way that, you know, the, the psychic tools that we use of grounding or running energy can, can make such a big difference. Absolutely can. And the kind of a follow-up question with all of this, Deborah. Do you see 
in the future, in the near or distant future? <laughs> great, great question to ask a psychic. What do you see in the future? Um, <laughs> do you see at a certain point uh, remote viewing, clairvoyant work, healing work being more mainstream and starting to come into kind of the workplace, into a corporate space, into the places that it's you you know historically been very taboo where you can't even mention the topic law enforcement um, i know it is now but it still seems very kind of fringe there's so many skeptics and it's just always kept in its own little side section of society you know oh those weird ones over there do you do you do you see that one day it'll be incorporated more into our everyday lives and more across the board accepted yeah well on on a logical observation level, you know, there's a lot of at least psychology programs or other programs now that are being more open to intuitive processes. And I I think that's one good indicator when you start to see it entering into mainstream education or, or a bit more, you know, you're seeing Reiki being offered or intuitive consulting services being offered at least within some of the already somewhat fringe type things such as, you know, massage or, I mean, massage is much more accepted now than it it used to be. And and in a lot Mm -hmm. of spas, you're finding more of these services. And, and of course, there's so many more books these days on on the subjects. Even, you know, I, I did literature searches five years ago, 10 years ago, and there's hundreds more books on these subjects. There's there's at least dozens more clairvoyant training schools and, and programs, and so thing, in that respect, it's it's increasing. It's it's a little hard since I'm so in, in, engrossed in all this. So everything I see, and probably this is true with you guys. You know, we we have kind of a skewed perspective when when we're so immersed in in these communities of psychics that it's. Sometimes sure. it's hard to see how things are still going on out there. But what I can tell you psychically, what, I, what I've seen on a psychic level uh, most recently is that there is going to be this influx of spirits on our planet that are in spirit form but making themselves known. It's almost like an invasion of the spirits from wherever they are and they're going to be seen by people that would normally never see them and when that happens there's going to be a lot of probably chaos Um, I haven't really seen the effects of that but I've been getting these messages very strong that they're they've found a way to infiltrate the dimensional space and are going to be showing up like in the millions, like we're going to get very crowded here and that's got to have some kind of, some kind of impact. And and I feel like people are starting to get ready for that. They're not staying at my house. That's for sure. (laughs) In charge of rent. (laughs) Yeah. Bodied or disembodied. Uh Uh-uh. Certainly yeah, there's a, a huge um, movement in uh, awareness of the power of meditation and how meditation impacts us. And and I know all of our work is founded in meditative awareness, meditative tools, and then using that connection within oneself to look outward, to see 
uh, someone else, whether you're looking at a re remote viewing level or connecting with someone else's energy. Um, so, so I do think that uh, that movement towards more people meditating ultimately would get more people in touch with their intuition. And I know um, in uh, Deborah that you have an international school of teaching clairvoyance and, and that probably the foundation on that is that everybody has this kind of ability or gift within. Um, so, so what kind of a role does meditation play in your teachings? Oh, well, it's, it's definitely essential. You know, I would say what I've learned over the years is you can be psychic without meditating. You, you definitely can, because I see remote viewers who, who do it. But in meditating, particularly when you bring in energy work into your meditation, because there's lots of different kinds of meditation, meditation helps focus your mind, and psychic work is all about focus. You know, our minds, we get inform we're getting information all the time from everywhere. But when we want particular information about something or someone, the way we get it is by focusing it on a particular thing. And part of the clairvoyant training is, you know, there's different techniques of what to focus on. And, and there's the initial receiving impressions, and then there's knowing how to guide yourself. And again, guiding is all through focus. So meditation, if nothing else, even when you're not doing it quite as energy work, is still about focusing your mind. And it's also about quieting all the noise. If your mind is fixated on everything that you're needing to, to do that day and everything you've just been through and you're connected energetically to all these people that are wanting your attention, there's so much noise in there that you're not going to be able to hear or the subtle, the, the subtle sounds or, or see the very quick impressions that the, the, inform, the psychic information is always there. So I look at with developing our abilities and, and tuning in, it's, it's not that we're going after making something appear that wasn't there. The information's always there, but there's so much noise. So when we meditate, we're learning how to, how to work with that noise. And a lot of it's just clearing out the noise because the noise is connected to energy. So that's where meditations that involve working with energy, releasing it, moving it, raising it so we're in a, in a higher state above the, the lower energies that would pull our attention away to other things, that's what makes a really big difference. So while anybody can, I, I really believe just about anybody can tune in and get psychic information here or there, there's only certain people that are going to be able to sustain their focus over time and work through all the different inner and outer emotional stuff that comes through. And the way to do that is through the meditation tools that involve working with energy. Yeah. Well put. And yeah. I, absolutely. And uh, sometimes when I teach, I, I like to use the analogy of sports or basketballs. When someone asks me, is everybody psychic? Can anybody do this work? And of course, right. Anybody can go out and play basketball and, and make their, uh, skills better and learn how to take jump shots and become better and better. Not everybody is going to become Michael Jordan, 
But if you're really passionate about something and you work at it, of course you can become better. Why would uh, being energetically aware be different than anything else? So I, I always yeah. like that analogy. And I really like how you said uh, noise is related to energy. When I teach meditation, I found that most people aren't aware that the noise is related to energy and they don't know what to do about the noise in their heads. So when we go to sit down and meditate, we close our eyes and all that noise is just coming up. And then it's, it's so frustrating that a lot of times we just quit and to become aware of the fact that noise is energy and then to further take another step and go, well, where is that energy coming from? Oh, it's actually coming from somebody else, uh, somebody else's emotions, somebody else's feelings, somebody else's thoughts. And then to have tools to actually be able to clear some of that noise out and then start to really focus on what it is you do want to pay attention to, whether it's like creating your next step, um, you know, looking at something that you want to be really creative with an art form or music or whatever, whatever it is that you want to focus on rather than just having all this mess of a noise in your head. And I think that's what most people are looking for when they come to meditation. And then you can become a remote viewer for the FBI <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is that you're looking to do. Uh, I want to ask you just one other question that we haven't gotten to yet, which is about your books. You've got all these incredible books. Um, you Are Psychic, which is your first book, really, really popular book. Uh, if you type in psychic on Amazon, it's probably the first one that comes up every time. Uh, and then you have Extraordinary Psychic. And then you have this book called Freeing the Genie Within. What Can you just um, explain a little bit what that means? What is the genie within? And how, how do you free him? And what do you, what do you get when you get to ask him for a wish? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Well, or her, always, excuse me. <laughs> I, my favorite show when I was growing up was A Dream of Jeannie. I always always wanted to be her. And in many ways, uh, I, I feel like I, I might not have her figure exactly, but, you know, I, I feel like I learned how to develop the ability to draw to me what I, I want to have in my life, whether the experiences or or some of the things. Now, I don't have absolutely everything. I don't have my my European castle or my yacht yet, but <laughs> I'm, I, I'm living my days in total freedom as far as I still have to work, and I probably put in more hours than most people I know, but I'm doing all the work that I love with, with people like you guys that are just so wonderful and fun to talk to with, with subjects that I love that I've through these different tools that I've learned over the years, a lot I've been taught by other people, a lot I've developed through my own intuition. And that, that's a great thing is that when you're, when you have your, you're in touch with your psychic abilities, you can then use them to help you get new ideas, to create new, new things, to, to have new approaches. So you could use your intuition to help you to create what you want in your life. And then there's also the healing component and, and again, energy component. So you take your, your clairvoyance, your, your healing abilities, and concepts around the law of attraction, which a lot of people are familiar with now, mm -hmm. um, drawing, drawing what you want to you through thought and visualization, and also having the ability to heal some of your creations that may not be in a very good energetic state so that you draw to you more of what you want as opposed to 
your your subconscious thoughts or your fears or your past patterns drawing to you more of just more of what you don't want anymore. And so that's what the book is about. And the book is really too about, you know, like I mentioned, the law of attraction and, and everyone these days is familiar with the the book, The Secret, which was definitely not the the first book to release concepts around law of attraction. I mean, books have been out there. This knowledge has been out there for centuries, but it popularized mm-hmm. it. But then what I wanted to do is after working with these concepts for a long time, I saw that there were certain areas in my life or in the lives of the people I would do readings for where we still had blocks. We still had certain certain things that we weren't getting past. And I was very curious about that. Why why can we sometimes manifest what we want, but there's certain areas that we just seem to be having a really hard time with. And that's sure. what I explored for many years. And then what I discovered to be the reasons for these and what would help with those obstacles I put into that book. And and sometimes I have to reread it to remind myself, <laughs> you know, I'll do this. <laughs> you know, you need, need some reminders. Absolutely. What are you reading? Oh, my own book. I need a, <laughs> a reminder about my genius. <laughs> I love it. There, Deborah, there's one story in this book that really fascinated me. I believe it's from this book, and it's about someone named Lynetta, Lyena, L Y E N A, and about how she goes out into the forest. Do you know what story I'm talking about? And could you share it with us briefly? Lyena. Let's see. She she falls off a tree, and oh yes, Lynn for short and. She, yes, she actually had met her husband, like they they weren't husband and wife, they had only been together for a week or so, and they, she suddenly like had this urge to go to the forest and go climb a tree, and she did, and then she fell, and she became paralyzed from her waist down, and well, her, at first her whole body and she had to rely on everybody to help her. And at first she thought, you know, her life was just over and how terrible, especially since she had just met this great guy. And then she just, um, through her, her having faith and really working with um, just a positive outlook and, and with the help of this guy, she ended up um, just, you know, having the faith that her life would, she knew it would be different, but that she would just pull herself up and do whatever it took and was determined to live an even richer life than she did before. And I mean, she had been a dancer and so it was just, uh, uh, initially it was horrendous, but um, what ended up happening is while she's still paralyzed, she went on to be a, a stage performer and, and doing one-woman shows and serving as um, these shows that are in, inspirational for other people having challenges. She just recently had a baby, which she they thought was going to be completely impossible. And, wow. Um, her and Todd have been together now for years, happily married and and working on film projects and you know, life is still isn't easy. She still has these physical challenges, but sure. you know, through using these different concepts, um, you know, she's 
she's living a, a life that she never thought she could. And, you know, that just serves as, as an example that, you know, a lot of us, we, uh, of course, we have, we have real challenges. They're not imagined. And, and some people are sick and, and have all sorts of physical, physical restrictions, or, you know, some people have five kids, but they want to go back to school. Other people have, you know, parents are taking care of or whatever it is. And, and I, I think we have to just, we don't want to ignore or deny our, our challenges that are, are real, but at the same time, there's always a way to do what you want, you know, or to at least do parts of what you want. And, and I think that's what's really important to remind people. Absolutely. Yeah. And who knows how her life would have turned out if she hadn't fallen, you know, maybe it's richer in a lot of ways from that accident. Uh, and I've met a few people like that who have been paralyzed and their life took a huge turn. And they told me that the things that they got to explore and then become enlightened about never would have happened. So who knows? Yeah. That's an incredible story, though. Uh, when I was reading it, I was like, I, I have to ask her about this one. Wow. Um, thank, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Amazing. And I also want to mention... You have a school, I think Cody briefly mentioned it, but it's called the School of International Clairvoyance, and it's taught via phone and internet. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've, I've been offering online training programs for a number of years now, and um, we, we do clairvoyant training and healing training and um, remote viewing training, and we use teleseminar and webinar formats, and really it people sometimes say, well, how can you learn this stuff like over the phone or computer? But really it's perfect. And, and I know Cody does training like this too, so maybe you could speak to this. But, you know, when, when you're doing psychic work, really it's best to have as little visual cues and interference as possible. And a lot sure. of times, you you know, it it's perfect because in person you may have a lot more distractions. I mean, there's you know, obviously, some some differences there, but you know, what in the classes too, we start to find that we can really socialize. So there, there's ways. There, there's people that I've been in classes with and become friends with, and I don't even know what they look like, but they see, they're like my bestest friends. <laughs> you know, it's just it's really living a virtual life in in many ways, and I think that has to be supplemented with a you know a physical life too. Sure. Um, but, you know, to keep in balance, but with, with our psychic abilities, there's no time or space. So it's as easy to do a reading on the phone or to, to do a class on the phone as it is in person. You know, there's just some logistics you gotta, you gotta work out. Yeah, And I, I'd love to hear too. I know you guys both teach. Do you, do you guys want to talk about that a little bit? About well, I have found, similar to you, uh, Deborah, that um, sometimes that visual can add more noise, right? And even way back when, when I was um, training and learning um, to open up to my clairvoyance and we would have 
people come in for readings in person, one of the things we would very often do was whoever was going to be the readers for that evening, so there'd be a couple of them, uh, we would go into our reading space or trance and close our eyes before the reading came in. And we wouldn't open our eyes and look at them so that we didn't have that visual impression or that noise. And in fact, oftentimes we wouldn't even, we'd be told to don't come out of trance or open your eyes till after they leave which may seem weird, yeah. but to a psychic, then you don't have that visual impression clouding, you know, in your mind or, or kind of in you. And you just read the energy. And the, and the practice was how do you really just see beyond the physical and the ego and touch that spirit and, and talk to that part of a person? And it's certainly much easier That's over easy. the phone to do that because you don't have a choice. You just do that. Uh, so I have found yeah. reading over the phone is is way easier and way less uh, noise and easier to connect with the person in in many, many regards. Um, and teaching as well is it I think it's great over the phone. It's a great medium or through uh, the web or whatever way you, you reach to have people come together, but they each get to be in their own uh, comfortable space and then they get to explore energy awareness and spirit. so I, I found it to be um, to work out really well, actually. Yeah. And you could reach a lot more people. I know for me, I have meditations. Some of my meditations are on a website, on an app called Insight Timer, which is, it's it's a really popular free meditation app. And I never would be able to, re- I mean, some days, you know, thousands of people listen to one meditation and I get hundreds of comments and there's people in Australia and, and people in New Zealand and in Istanbul and in New York, and they all give feedback. And it's amazing to connect with that many people all across the planet who are interested in learning how to meditate. So that would never happen in person, right? You need a lot of money and time to be able to fly somewhere, do a retreat. And I also really like the fact, and I've seen this with a lot of students, I've been teaching on the phone for years, that they they feel like they're not judged based on what they look like mm-hmm. when they're doing the training. So a lot of psychics, not all, of course, but some are very sensitive. They're hiding in the closet. They're, they don't like to go outside so much. And for the first time in their lives, they feel like, oh my God, this person sees me for who I am and not just for what I look like. And slowly they get to learn how to release the energy of being afraid to let their light shine out into the world and to go out into the world. And so what I do teach them is, hey, yes, I know this is very validating and we're celebrating. And at the same time, you're going to get to grow out of this part and go out into the world. So it's two parts. One is you get validated for who you are. And two is you still have to go out into the world in the physical space and work through that energy of being seen. And a lot of psychics I know never do the second part. They never really break the seal of going out into the world and letting uh, the Harry Potter term muggles see them and do their work because they're afraid of being persecuted or, you know, just for a number of reasons, not letting their light shine into the world. So there's aspects that you actually couldn't learn uh, in person that you do get to learn on the phone. And then there's aspects you get to learn in person that you couldn't learn on the phone. And so I like to do a mix. I do a lot on the phone and then we do retreats and uh, weekend seminars and stuff like that. So I, I, it's everything under the sun, you know, it's all good. And everyone gets a different piece from doing it wherever they're, wherever they are, you know? And, uh, I also, yeah, I, I have a website that I do stuff. And we, we always mention that in the beginning and at the end in the intros, but, uh, I love the work that you do, Deborah, and the the books that you have, I think, are a first. 
um, I've, I've read a lot of books and there's not really any other books out there that clearly take the psychic work, the energetic work that like Cody and I and you teach uh, and put it into word form where people can access it. And maybe for a long time they didn't want it to be that way, but now there's so many people on the planet that want it and they don't all live in Northern California or Southern California and they're interested in it. So this is how they get open to it. And I think it's all the work you're doing is really, really cool. So Deborah has an awesome lineup of classes coming up in the fall. It's urpsychic.com spelled U-R uh, and then psychic. And you could totally check her out. And Deborah, thank you so much for coming on today. You're so interesting. We could probably talk to you for another three hours and um, you're, you're amazing. Yeah, we'll thank have you. to have you on thank again. You. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Part two, three and four. Yeah, thank you so much, Deborah, <laughs> for spending the yeah, time. Thank you guys. It's just such an honor to talk to both of you and just have this opportunity here to chat with people who are really the foremost experts on these topics. So thank you for the invite here. Definitely. Great. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in the next episode. Enjoy yourselves. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Take care. Bye. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We had a great time getting uh, this opportunity to sit down with Deborah and delve deep into some pretty wild topics on the subject of being psychic and uh, remote viewing. It's a really interesting subject matter. And we do want to mention um, Deborah has, as an author can be found on Amazon and she has uh, three great books out that you might want to look up. You can also find those books on her website at DebraCats.com. Yep, and she's got some great classes coming up this fall that she's going to be teaching, so you can check those out too. What a wonderful person, great interview. I had a blast. I learned an incredible amount, and I was blown away by this whole remote viewing thing, which I really knew nothing about. So I'm going to go apply for a job with the CIA as a psychic. So I'll see you guys soon, and Cody, it was nice doing this podcast with you. I'm going to disappear. You've been listening to the Energy Matters Podcast with Cody Edner and David Gandelman. Brought to you by intuitivevision.net and groundedmind.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or soundcloud.com.